everyone, and welcome to the European Startup Show, where every week I talk to exciting startups in Europe to learn more about their challenges and strategies they use to scale their business. My guest today is a very interesting person, Stefan Ekberg, a Swedish entrepreneur best known for his pioneering work in the online travel industry. Among his many entrepreneurial pursuits, he's the founder of Travel Start, one of the biggest online travel agencies in the emerging global markets that has a presence in multiple countries in Africa, as well as Middle East and Asia. I'm very happy to welcome Stefan to the show today. Welcome. Thanks, Anita. Glad to be here. Thank you. <laughs> so, Stefan, when I look at your LinkedIn profile, what really jumps out at me is that you just have an entrepreneurial streak. You've just been going from one business to another, whether it's travel, travel insurance, um, et cetera, et cetera. So my first question is, what is it about your childhood or education that prepared you for a life of being an entrepreneur? Maybe you should say lack of education rather. <laughs> Obviously, I've thought about this many times and I've, people have asked me before. I, I grew up in a small village in rural Sweden. I think there was about you know 500 or so people living there. My father was a dentist. He was working from home. My mother was a housewife and my next door neighbors, their father was a butcher and he also worked from home. My other friend, his father was a chimney sweeper, I think you call it. And he also worked from home. Obviously, most of the pe people around, they were farmers. And so and everybody had their own business and worked from home as you did in those days. And so for me, I, I never thought about getting a job. That didn't really exist for me. The only job that I knew about was that my, on my father's side, he came from a long you know, line of officers or militaries back in Hungary. So he was a Hungarian immigrant. I think part of it was that because he came from then communist Hungary, and then prior to that, it was occupied by the Germans. I, I, I was given this anti-authoritan gene already from the beginning because that's yeah. sort of you know wh where he came from and I and I think to some degree you have to be a bit of an anti anti-establishment anti-authoritan type of personality to dare to break out to become a, an entrepreneur because you know you get beaten left and right all the time yeah yeah oh that's interesting and I know that initially you started off as a DJ how yeah. was that transition from being a DJ to an entrepreneur? Was it a difficult transition? You, you know? know what? No, no, not at all. Actually, a lot of my DJ friends, they were all entrepreneurs. You were all only as good as your last gig. And you have to fight for your existence every night. You fight with record labels, or not fight with them, but you have to sell to them that they should give you records for free. And once you're in there, it's very easy. And, and then, you know, club owners, and then it's the audience. At the end of the day, the guys that are paying to hear you mm -hmm. or see you, and, and they, have to, they have to worship you. Um, so, so it's a selling game all the time. And there was many things that I, that, you know, that could take away from those days. One is the obvious one of, of, of reading a crowd, understanding what works, what doesn't work. And, and the other thing is just being 
ahead of where people are going. And I use that all the time. I'm still today our company's best product guy because uh, I, I, I think that I understand to some degree what people want. Yeah. I don't think I've met anyone who went from being a DJ to an entrepreneur. You're the first. So do you still DJ? Do you still do anything in that world? No, no, no. Okay. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> well, one yeah. of the things you just mentioned was how you could, as a DJ you always had to know where people were going and kind of know what the future held. And I know that even when you moved into online travel, that was one of the things that set you apart because you were ahead in terms of knowing where travel might be going and what people would be looking for from an online travel agency. So could you talk about some of the trends for the future of of travel tech today? Yeah, look, the thing is... The travel industry it is an enormous industry. It's the, we always say that it's the largest industry in the world. It's like, you know, you know, 10 times bigger than pharmaceutical or whatever. So there is not only one trend. The world is getting more and more shopped into bite-sized customer clusters. Some will want... And even I, as an individual, I travel as different personas. When I travel for business... I might have the requirement of something. It might actually be a complicated journey. So I actually might have to talk to a person or in the case of... I went with my family to Japan in January and and I knew that Lux Nomad, that they were very good at properties in Japan for skiing. So we wanted to go to Niseko. So we contacted them and they put the whole package together and my daughter sorted out all the flights for us. I I think if there is one trend, it is that it'll be more and more uh, niche for different types of travel, for different types of personas. Hmm. So, uh, but one trend is very, very clear. And I believe this a lot. I I, I do believe that payment companies, to some degrees, they do have an upper hand. I believe that platforms such as Apple, definitely Google, maybe not so much Amazon and, well, maybe Amazon, but definitely not Facebook will you know play a bigger role because they're so good at just gathering all the information that's mm-hmm. available everywhere and they're just brilliant on packaging all the information from various sources into one understandable itinerary for instance so i do 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 believe that whatever you take from whatever source is going to be need to be packaged somewhere and i do believe that People will pick and choose stuff from everywhere. And you can see that on sort of, you know, both Booking.com and Expedia, C-Trip, another of the large ones in our industry. They already know that one brand doesn't fit everything. So they buy brands and companies that can sort of do special niches. Do you think the pandemic has changed any fundamentals in the travel industry? Well, consolidation for sure. I mean, what what these things normally do is that they fast track those things that was already going to happen. So if you have a crappy business, you'll probably fail quicker. And obviously where there was consolidation going to happen over the next three years, 
That's probably going to happen over the next year instead, or maybe even consolidation over the next five years will happen over the next two years. But I'm a believer in the human spirit that somehow we will always want to revert back to a carefree life where we can meet, exchange ideas. It's always been like that since forever. I think Zoom is here to stay. I believe that this day trip in business travel, they will be gone for a few years. And, and I think we'll probably be a little bit more responsible on how we spend our time and how we spend our money. True. So it sounds to me from what you've said, people will want to travel. They may just not do it at the same frequency and for the same reasons, but they will be travel. And so this idea of niche persona-based travel experiences is something that you see as a trend. Okay. You started a travel star when you were in Sweden. And then you moved to South Africa and you've built this whole online travel agency for, for Africa and Middle East. Is there a difference in the way people consume these travel online services in Europe versus Africa? Yeah, uh, Definitely. Because first of all, in Europe or America and even Southeast Asia, th- there is so much to choose between. They ha- really have this enormous amount of choice there and you travel for various reasons and you take it so for granted what i noticed when we started to do business here in in africa is that travel is so much more important to people here because it's the only way that people can move around and the distances are vast i mean if we want to go somewhere it's always like 10 hours to somewhere to the middle east or to southern europe and then you have to get another plane uh, to get to somewhere. There's a lot of people in Africa, they send their kids to go to schools overseas. Uh, a lot of people, they work overseas and come back. And it's a dual continent, you know, living, working, kids somewhere else. It's so common. And so this is really important. So people travel long distances more often than maybe they would do in Europe. And they travel for different reasons. Take my family as an example. So we never, in 15 years here, we've never done any shopping in South Africa, never. So we would always do our shopping when we get to Europe or to America because it's uh, better quality and cheaper. And uh, that's not, a, not only us. Most people we know, that that's how they shop. Now, that's just one small thing. So travel for business or whatever, it's so much more important in everyday life in, in every single way here compared to uh, most other places. Plus, traveling within Africa is incredibly expensive hmm. and, and it's complicated. Often you have a lot of forms that you need to fill in. They need visas wherever they go. So hmm. that is complicated. So we have, we have a completely different role that we need to fill here that we didn't need to do in Europe. So one of the things that really turned me on doing business here was that that people really loved our brand. Hmm. And when we did business in, in Scandinavia, it was more like they were expecting to get a cheap fare and that was it. Right. Here, super passionate about what we did. But it was also that we had a different angle. You know, our business is very transparent. We made sure that we always had super low fees and uh, service fees or fares or whatever. And we really fought for consumer rights all the time. Mm. I always say that curiosity 
brought us to Africa, but, but love made us stay here because the people really were passionate about what we did. We just responded to that, I suppose. Oh, that's lovely. Talk me through some of the other things that you did to build this brand that people seem to love in Africa. You talked about fighting for consumer rights. You talked about transparency. Is there anything else that you did that helped you to build such a strong brand that connected with people? Well, the playbook was very simple when we started. Let's always make sure we have um, the, the lowest prices. Okay, so that's always that's always a good thing. The second thing was let's just be uh, super transparent about everything, basically as transparent as we normally can be. And then you know, thirdly, was just just put the customer in in the center all the time and, and, and fight for their rights. So how did we do that? For instance, let's see if I can give you an example. So when we started out doing business here, this is insane, by the way. All, all, all the airlines and all the travel operators, they advertised in newspapers as they did in those days, but they advertised all the airfares excluding taxes. And as you know, taxes, that can sometimes be 50, 60, 70% of the total fare. Wow. And, and I thought, what? hell. And even when I we could go to South African Airlines, which is the biggest airline or was the biggest airline in, in Africa at the time, you would only see what the taxes were on your checkout page. And so I thought, well, this is ridiculous. So I called a press conference and not a whole lot of people came, maybe three journalists. And I made a bit of a presentation and I said, I know that there are consumer rights organizations here, but I don't know what they're doing. But I said, this is how we do it. And I, we compared it side by side. And I don't know why, but this became such a big thing. Radio, TV, everybody latched onto it. And a couple of months later, they had all changed. So everybody had to start to advertise with taxes. Another thing that we did was... I, I just happened to one day prior to the World Cup that was here t- 2010, I happened to see that the, the prices looked kind of wonky when you looked at domestic prices within South Africa and also from Europe to South Africa. That I thought that there was an unnatural increase in, in prices. And I also knew that the, re- the requests for these uh, tickets weren't as high to justify this jump. So anyway, so I wrote a blog post about that. A journalist picked that up and he's saying, do you allude to that there's price fixing going on? Mm. And I said, I can't prove it, but I can promise you that they are almost doing price fixing. Okay. Big article again and boom, blew up all over the place. And immediately the fares dropped with 75%. (laughs) You know, just like that, because they're quite tough on uh, price fixing here, as they should be. That's really interesting. I can see why consumers would love a brand like that, that they've seen publicly and vocally trying to do the right thing and being on their side. Um, must yeah. be must be yeah. not that common. What, what I noticed is that in, in Africa, they, suppliers, irrespectively, if, if it's the electrician or the lawyer or the car dealer, or what, they always take the chance. They look at every transaction just to maximize every transaction, whatever it is. And I just thought this is not how you build a business over 10, 20 years. You know, you have to try to look at the customer and try to build some sort of relationship with them over a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, 
I wanted to talk, dig into another aspect of Travel Star, which is around hiring. I know that you've grown this company from nothing to probably having close to a couple of hundred people working for Travel Star. And I understand that you're actually quite good at identifying and recruiting talented people that stay with you for a long time. And that's obviously something that's enormously important for a startup. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your philosophy of hiring. How, what do you look for uh, when you hire people? Yeah, so we tend to look for you know, people with a you know, certain type of DNA. We call it the warrior spirit. And it's basically people who are in search of a mission in life. It could be people who has something that they want to prove to their parents or their peers or their teacher or whoever. And people who really is looking for something more than a job people with that certain type of attitude. And obviously, you know, we always know that you should hire for attitude. And so what I, what I look for when I hire is simple things like, what did your parents do? Try to figure out what is their moral compass in life? Hmm. For instance, in Sweden, I always knew that hiring people from up north was always a dead given because I knew that they would be very loyal, that they would be very hardworking. And once they were in, they were 100%. And in South Africa, for instance, there are certain parts of the country where I can always say people from those parts of the country, they're generally very good people. So I, I tend to look at the DNA of where they come from and then saying, is this a person that you can build on for, for long term or hmm. not? Yeah. And then normally what we would do is that we would let, let a whole bunch of people interview and, and then people within the company, they build up a track record of being more or less right with certain recruits. And then those who are terrible, they, they don't participate in the recruitment. We haven't always been successful in that. One of the biggest mistakes we did after we, we raised money, which we only did once after being in business for 16 years, was that we hired a professional recruiter. He's a great guy. He's still with us. But suddenly they just started to recruit people left and right. And they were very good people that he hired, but that didn't necessarily fit into the DNA of the company. Okay, nice. If you look back at your career, what are you most proud of um, accomplishing in, in your career? Okay, that's an interesting one. I think maybe uh, one of my proudest moments is so we'd have been in business for 9, 10, 11 months. And I managed to convince a, a, a German company that's just gotten a lot of money from Goldman Sachs and others to acquire us. And so we sold them you know, for a hell of a lot of money, but I was paid primarily in stocks. That company went belly up after a year and a half. And I managed to repurchase the company. I sold them. But the company that I know, Travel Start, which I repurchased, was now in lots of debts. And so I made a plan to try to rebuild the company. And the reason was that my auditor said, it's better that you liquidate the company, put it in bankruptcy, and take out the technology and do something else. But I said to him, I actually, I, I've done a bankruptcy in my life before. It wasn't my fault. It was the shareholder's fault. But I vowed to myself to never do that ever again. So 
I tried to negotiate with all the companies that we owed money and nobody wanted to talk to me. And then 9-11 came and I took the opportunity to again approach everybody to see if we could have a payment plan. So I promised them money back in 12 months plus 8% interest. There was 25 companies that we owed money and, and they all agreed. And, and 12 months later, we had paid everybody back and the company was growing really, really fast. We know we weren't profitable yet, but we had paid everybody back. Wow. And, um, and so I'm super proud of that achievement and it learned me so much. Also, there was not a single supplier we've ever had to, that, that was disappointed for working with us. We never missed a heartbeat when it comes to paying salaries, not in the bad days, not even during COVID. I said already two weeks into this to my HR team, I said, this is going to take a very long time until the industry bounces back. I said, I want to pay all the staff out, those that we don't see a future for in this company. And I said, I'll borrow the money. You know, so I borrowed it from my shareholders and I put money in myself and we, we paid everybody out. Wow. And, and so I, I think that that was the right thing to do. But those would probably, that's sort of what first okay. comes to mind. Yeah. Okay. No, that's, that's fantastic. So looking at where you are now, are there things that you still have left unfinished in terms of what you want to achieve for yourself personally or professionally? Look, I think for me now is that I, I, I would wish to become a much better coach mm. to, to people in my surrounding and to other people as well. And I have my writing ambitions. I'm 60. I should have at least 20 good years left. So I thought 20 years, you can build a, a, a career out of that. Okay. Obviously, I still have my CEO day job here, but um, yeah. Okay. Well, one last question before we get into a bit of a fun round, but what advice do you have for entrepreneurs that are listening to this podcast? Yeah, good question. So first of all, it's to ask yourself, you know, the question, why? Why do you want to be an entrepreneur? Why do you think that you're an entrepreneur? Is there anything in your behavior that alludes that you are an entrepreneur? Most people that I meet uh, they're not entrepreneurs, they, but they have an idea and they want to start a company. First of all, real entrepreneurs are very complex, complicated people. It struggles with a lot of demons and uh, stuff that is sort of unfinished in their life that they just need to fix. And if you are a well-balanced person, securing yourself, etc., I'm not sure that you're an entrepreneur to be. Hmm. To, 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 to start with. But you might be an excellent business leader. Hmm. And so should you be a crappy entrepreneur or should you be a great business leader or a product owner or manager or, or something? It's really about where is your gifting? Where is your calling in life? And, and that can change as you mature and, 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 and as time goes. So I always started with, you know, in my life, what kind of life do I want to live? So for me, for instance, I'm a family guy. I'm going to go home and have dinner with my family every evening. And on most of the weekends, I'm not going to work. Of course, you know, you sneak away a few hours here and there and work on your, your computer. <clears throat> but <clears throat> so that was, you know, important for me then. It's still important to me now. And I also knew that... 
I wanted to be in an environment to me which was inspiring. So, so for me, at 40 or 50, it's not inspiring to live in London or New York. That's great when you're maybe 30 or 25 or whatever. So I knew that I didn't want to be in a big city. So I needed to choose a market which suited the kind of life that I wanted to live. I wanted to be able to be outdoors. I wanted to be able to be out running. I wanted to go out in the mountains. There wasn't many places that fit that bill, but South Africa did. And I also wanted to be in a place where I could, where I could make a big change with the mm. limited amount of gifts that I have. I think you determine the gifts you have in life is by those things that truly makes you happy. Where do you find peace when you do this? And, and so then you have to pursue that because I think running after other things, if it's not your calling or your gift, you will never find that peace or your joy in that anyway. Hmm, interesting. You've left a career to write and do, do these things because probably this is what you really love to do. Yep. True. Yeah. Very true. I love talking to people and really yeah. getting to know who they are and why they do what they do or what motivates yeah. them. And yeah. yeah, it's very fulfilling. I think that part about finding your calling and being true to yeah. yourself is really important yeah. because entrepreneurship is a hard road. It's not an easy road. Yeah. yeah. That's really good advice for people at whatever stage of journey they are in today. Okay, great. So in the last few minutes, Stefan, I'd like to just ask quick questions that are not as much business related as much as it is just more personal for people to get to know you better and for me to get to know you better. So uh -huh. I call it the rapid fire round. Um, you okay. ready? Yeah. Okay. What's a book or books that have um, influenced you a lot? Wow, that's a good one. The first uh, one that comes to mind is <laughs> called The Testament by John Grisham. It's about this washed up alcoholic lawyer that gets sent to the jungle uh, of uh, the Amazon uh, to find an heir of a, a, a rich guy who just committed suicide. And it was about this journey, how he actually found his peace in life when it, when it comes to business, I think, you know, Good to Great just came out when we started Travel Start. I think I read it three, four times. That had a tremendous impact on my life. And, and I read all the stories about Sam Walton and Ray Kroc started, you know, McDonald's and obviously Steve Jobs. So I've got a big library and all these books. I love biographies more than anything else, I think. And often read biographies, not only about business, but about sports people, about musicians and mm. uh, artists and stuff like that. Nice. What's your favorite music? Any, any artists that, you, that you're listening to now that, you know, you would recommend? Yeah, so, <laughs> look, look uh, uh, during lockdown, we've had, this, we've had this yacht rock revival. So do you know what, do you know what yacht rock is? No. So it's basically, it's basically West Coast music in the, in the 80s. So it's everything from Fleetwood Mac and uh, Doobie Brothers and, you know, that, that whole scene. So we've been totally into that during the whole lockdown. Otherwise, right now, I'm very much into this guy. His name is Max Cooper. So he does electro music and uh, it's kind of a little bit hypnotic, but it's sort of, it's art. I would call it arty club music. I listen to that a lot. So I've been a lot into his music and and various genres around, around that as well. 
Also, I love dubstep when I'm working because it's fast and I think it's creative. It's just an incredible music genre. So, yeah. Wow, nice. Really good recommendations. Some of them I, I have not heard, so I'm going to go look them up right after this uh, call with you. Thank you, Stefan, for those recommendations and for a really interesting chat um, about all things travel and entrepreneurship. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, that was great. Thanks a lot, Anita. Well done. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you.